You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. One of those hard questions, it's, and it's an unusual hard question, it's why do bad things happen to good people? And actually the Bible barely addresses this question. We'll look at some of the things. The main question the Bible addresses is the opposite question. Why do good things happen to bad people? The main question in the Bible is why do the wicked prosper? Why do all those corrupt people in Washington, D.C. prosper? Why hasn't God thrown a lightning bolt at them, you know? Why, why do people get to the top of life? You read Psalm 37 or 73 or what David says. Why are these wicked people running around running the universe when God's in charge? That's the main question that the Bible asks. But in Western countries, we ask this question. We ask why do bad things happen to good people? Because we're blessed, you see. In, in other places which aren't so best, blessed, bad things happen to everybody, all the time. The babies die young, persecution happens, Christians are massacred in China, northern India, Sudan, they're thrown into concentration camps in North Korea, and that is considered normal. Bad things are considered normal. But in countries where the gospel has been around for a long time, those bad things begin to disappear. We can have a lovely church like this and you can have jobs and you're not starving to death. Uh, your children live uh, past the age of five. Uh, in, in, in this place, good things are normal and bad things are rare. It is rare to have uh, these terrible school shootings, though they have been increasing lately. Uh, and in, but in other countries, where places where I've lived, shootings and bombs were normal. Going and hearing the news, well, you can't go to that shop anymore, it's been blown up, it was a normal part of life in one part of the world that I lived. So in other places in the world, bad things are just happening all the time. People die of malaria, terrible worm diseases. You know, I had cerebral malaria once when I was in Papua New Guinea, and I nearly died, and that was considered a normal thing, to spend a week in a coma with your brain full of parasites. Right? The, uh, and so... We've got to realise that this question presupposes American, Australian, Canadian or European society where things generally work. Where you, I go to turn my car on in the morning and it works. Surprise, surprise, you know. Uh, and uh, I remember in, in, in Mindanao, in, in the southern Philippines, I was in a particular city called General Santos City and a, a light bulb was broken outside of my house. Uh, and... Uh, it was very insecure. There were ter Abusayaf terrorists everywhere and burglars and things. So I wanted the light bulb changed. And I asked, is there a ladder here to change the light bulb? And I said, oh, we don't, what's a ladder? La no one knew what a ladder was. No one owned a ladder. So I had to make a ladder out of lumber. And as you probably all know, I am not the world's handiest person. <laughs> so I had to go to one store and get the lumber and another store to get nails and another store to get the, the handsaw. And the handsaw proved to be no good. So I had to go and buy another handsaw and it took me an entire week of work, a whole 40 hours plus of work, to make a ladder to change a light bulb. And when you've got to spend an entire week changing a light bulb, you're in a, in a dysfunctional place. You're in a place where things don't work and everyone accepts that they're not going to work and people accept poverty and pain as normality. But we are here blessed in the United States of America and when I got here, I nearly kissed the ground. I was so sick of the pollution in Manila. My eyes would burn from the pollution in Manila. And this is a blessed country and this is a wonderful country. So when we look at 
why bad things happen to good people. You need to realize the context you're in. You should never complain if you are a citizen of the United States. Yeah, you should never complain because life here, while it's crazy, though some days you, know, you hate the four or five, all that kind of stuff, that is minor stuff compared to what's going on out there in the world. And we're blessed. God's blessed this country and God's blessed your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that we're in a good country. We thank you we're in a good place. We thank you that you've saved us uh, and that you've given us many, many blessings and homes and jobs and good health. And you've given us the expectation of blessing. We expect our kids to grow up. We expect our life to be good and we expect things to get better. And we've seen that. We've seen that because of your holy hand of grace upon America and upon your people and upon those who believe. So, Lord, we ask that you will continue your holy hand of grace upon us, that you will continue to bless this country. You'll continue to bless us and this church and Pastor Ken and all the other pastors in this church, and that you will raise up glory out of this church. You'll raise up good things out of this church. You'll send missionaries out to the other tough places of this world out of this church. And you will come and you will dwell in our midst. Now, as we look at your word, open our spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, okay. Now, we know that bad things happen. Random violence, war, murder, abortion, genocide, racism, the Holocaust in Europe, senseless tragedy and accidents, natural disasters, poverty, cancer, disability, cruelty, crime and treachery disintegrating cultures and broken families. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, what is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. And we always can say what's lacking. You got, every one of us can go back to our childhood and we can say, we lack this or we lack that. We lack love or we lack money or we, we lack the parent that was around. We can always point at the things that are lacking and the things that are imperfect. Uh, and, uh, and Solomon looks at this and says, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world. It's always there, it's always going to be there. There's always going to be crooked politicians. There have been since thousands of years BC. And the world is fundamentally messed up. Uh, and let's look at, so when bad things happen to good people, there's a wrong answer. I want to get that one out of the way first. There was some president at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and he answered them, do you think these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that these were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the people that get uh, accidents happening to them, they're not those accidents don't happen to you or to your family or to people you know because they're worse. Remember a few weeks back, this woman, Southwest Jet, the engine blew up, the, the, the window shattered and she was sucked outside and killed. Was she worse for going through that extraordinary accident? Was that some divine punishment on her? No, not at all. Right? That kind of stuff just happens in a fallen world. And we don't say, oh, that, that person had this terrible thing happen to them, therefore they must be bad. So when the disciples saw the blind man by the side of the road, they asked, who sinned? He's blind from birth. Who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. He did not sin nor his parents, but this is for the glory of God. And he opens his eyes. So we need to start breaking the connection of blaming the victim. 
We don't want to blame the victim when things go wrong, when someone gets cancer or, or, or their child dies or some terrible things happen. We don't blame the victim. God does not blame the victim. But we are all sinners. We are all under the judgment of, of God. We're all in a broken world. Uh, and we must repent and believe in Jesus and know God's grace. Okay, some of the big reasons that bad things happen to good people. Firstly, we're in a fallen world. Adam and Eve sinned. Everyone has sinned since then. And this world is full of sin and loss and tragedy. We are outside the Garden of Eden. Life is no longer perfect. But there is something in our heart that wants to get back to the Garden of Eden, that wants to get back to heaven, that wants the world to be perfect, but it is not. And this world is like a sandbox. We live our life in it, and then God will wipe this world out and make a new heaven and a new earth. But we are in something called the present evil world. Age. Well, turn with me to Galatians 1.5. You, know, you know, when I'm preaching, you've got to bring your Bibles. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians 1 verse 5. Okay. Uh, and it, it, it talks, uh, oh, maybe it's first, yeah. Grace to you and peace from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this, oh, it's verse 4, not verse 5. Gave himself to our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So that should be one fourth. There's a present evil age. This world we're in now is evil. It's dominated by powers and principalities. It's dominated by the devil. And Ephesians 2, it calls the devil the prince of this world. The prince of the powers of the air. So the devil runs the show and he came to Jesus and said I have all this has been given to me I can give you all the glory and power of this world if you bow down to me so we find wicked people getting to the top because the devil's in charge and we're in something that's called the present evil age but God's bigger than that God's grace is bigger than that and he can deliver us out of the present evil age we are not living in a good world the other thing is God is patient with sinners and in Romans 2 verse 4 Romans 2 verse 4, it says this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, God is patient. He is good to us. He gives his reign to the just and the unjust so that the unjust may one day repent and become Christians. If God zapped us as soon as we sinned, we wouldn't make our fifth birthday. Right? God has to be patient with sinners. He was patient with Paul. He's patient with me. He's patient with you. Who is patient with the Apostle Peter? And God is patient with sinners so that we can come to repentance. And you know, when God is patient with sinners, they keep on sinning. And when they sin, they do bad things. Right? And those, some of those bad things happen to us. God was patient with uh, me before I got saved at the age of 21. And before then, I did some bad things and I hurt a lot of people so bad things happen to those people because God was being patient with me bad things happened to the early church and people were thrown in prison because God was patient with Saul who became Paul and lots of people got thrown in jail but God was being patient with Paul and didn't strike him with a lightning bolt and so bad things happened all sorts of persecution happened uh, because he's fanatical things so God is patient with sinners Next, in this world, we have active evil. 
There's demonic hatred of good people. In Revelation 12, 17, the devil is cast out of heaven and goes to inflict uh, all sorts of persecution on those who believe in Jesus. There is demonic hatred of good people. The demons are, are out to destroy missionaries, pastors, and all who live godly lives. There's also some places on the, this earth that are very, very bad. Let's look at Psalm 74, verse 20. Psalm 74, verse 20. Okay, 77, 74, verse 20. Okay. Have respect to the covenant, for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. There are dark places on this earth, like Sudan and Afghanistan, and places like that that are full of cruelty and slavery and sex trafficking and drugs and murder. And, and there are places, uh, uh, I, I know in Sudan there was a saying, said, Sudan against the world, my clan against Sudan, my family against my clan, my brother, uh, then me against my brothers. Wow, everyone is against one another. Right? That is a habitation of darkness and cruelty where people are bound up in, in structures and, th and those structures create what we call structural evil where women are oppressed, uh, women are beaten up, women are raped, uh, where children are put into forced labour, where the Christians in Pakistan are made to work in brick kilns because they cannot get any jobs for any of the good jobs are reserved for Muslims. This, these kind of places are full of darkness and cruelty and bad things happen because the demons are fully in control. And I went to, once to a place called Gawi village off from the Fly River, down the Aramea River in, in Papua New Guinea. And we were, went there in canoe, in a canoe, and I wasn't allowed to paddle the canoe because the natives didn't, the nationals there didn't uh, trust me paddling the canoe. So I had to sit there in the canoe looking useless as we went down the Aramea River and went to Gawi village. And in Gawi village, the whole village was mentally ill. The, most of the people in the village were completely naked. They were deranged. They were screaming at the top of their lungs. They were completely demon-possessed. Uh, a doctor, who, a New Zealand doctor, said he saw more pathology in, in Gawi village in a few days than he saw in, in New Zealand in 20 years. This was a habitation of darkness, insanity, and demon possession. It felt creepy being there, and the pastors who took me there were afraid to take me there. And I went there to preach the gospel and cast out demons. So God sends me to some crazy places. So there are habitations of darkness in this world and we need to walk into them with the gospel. Persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, All who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, and, fin and finally we find uh, uh, there are worship of idols around the world. People worship demons instead of cre creator God. It says that in 1 Corinthians 10.20. People worship money instead of God and become cruel and materialistic and selfish and they trample over people for the sake of money and trade. Worshipping lust, not love, and turning relationships upside down. Worshipping the culture and not Christ. Worshipping ego and vanity and not the truth. Thus creating self-justifying systems of oppression and iniquity, wage injustice, uh, people being disposable at work and thrown off every time there's a restructuring. Uh, systems of trade in some countries where the countries that grow bananas in South America, if the banana price changes a few pennies, the dole or someone moves the plantation to another country and suddenly people are out of work and starving and devastated because of the, the oppression of international trade. Uh, it's very little regulation of that and uh, 
other things like currency trading are incredibly nasty, and I haven't got time to get into that. So, uh, and finally, this fr uh, human free will. We have the freedom to love or to hate, to be generous or to be selfish, to be patient or to be harsh, to do good or to commit evil, to be kind or to be cruel, to give what is needed or to withhold it, like the rich man in Luke 16 who went past the guy with the sores every day. He lived in purple and he did not give anything to the person who was there because he withheld what God wanted him to give, to be truthful or to be deceitful. Now, I'd like to briefly address the shootings, the school shootings in America at this point. They're a result of human free will. Why are those happening? Why are, are guns coming, people getting guns and shooting children in school? And it comes back to a, a cycle that you learn fairly early on in counselling. It's called the four R's. Resolve, resent, reject, revenge. If an issue is in a person's mind is not resolved, it turns into resentment. The resentment fosters their thoughts say, I have been rejected by this girl or by society or by life in general and they, get, they eventually withdraw and become quiet and they reject the world and they feel rejected by the world. They say to themselves, they perceive themselves as a rejected, isolated human being. They get the trench coat, they get the T-shirt the, 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 the that says born to kill or something. They, they see themselves as a rejected human being. And after that feeling of cruel rejection, after they see themselves as cruel and rejected, they want to kill themselves and they want to kill others because of that feeling of cruel rejection, which may or may not be true, but it's what, that's what's happening inside their mind. And cruel rejection drives people to revenge and they get their gun and they kill people. So this is what is happening in their minds. It's the resolve, resent, reject, revenge. And revenge is generally perceived... Uh, a result of that feeling of rejection. I, I have been, I've been kicked to the ground by life. I must take revenge. I, I must go for people because the world has treated me as nothing. And if you go back right to Dylan Clebold in uh, uh, the Columbine and go through all these school shooters, they all have this feeling of deep rejection going on in their hearts. And it is up to the church of God to make sure that people are loved and accepted. Well, I will tell you something about my own life. I was a very rejected, angry nerd before I was saved. I experienced incredible rejection and by the age of time, I invited people to my 21st birthday party and no one came. And no one came, no one liked me, no one cared about me. I was skinny, I was awkward, I was antisocial. So I decided I was going to get some ammonium nitrate explosive and blow myself to kingdom come. And so I prepared the bomb. I went to a biochemistry class and some Christians gave me a 21st birthday card. And it saved my life. Because Christians cared. We could have had a massacre from me. But someone cared about my feelings of rejection. I could have been the next Dylan Klebold, except I didn't have guns, but I knew explosives. I know explosives really, really well, because uh, I was doing chemistry degree, right? And so we need, as the church, to spot rejected people, and we need to love them. We need to really love on them because they're stubborn and they're difficult. And then it was only a matter of months before I became a Christian. So 
we need to reach out with our human free will to the people that everyone else despises. Uh, so, now, there's also redemptive suffering. Christ suffered. Good, bad things happened to Jesus. He was a good person. Uh, but bad things happened to him which were redemptive. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So he suffered for sins. He suffered redemptively. It was essential that bad things would happen to a good person in the form of the cross. Paul, going out as a missionary and an apostle, he says, This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Uh, and so Pastor Janet's daughter is there in northern India, under leaving the comfort of America, doing all things for the sake of the elect, and that is redemptive suffering. The next thing uh, we need to look at is our growth in God. We learn obedience through what we suffer. We learn to deal with our negative attitudes through the, thing, the bad things that happen to us. So when something bad happens to you, you have a choice. You have a choice to go into self-pity. You have a choice to go into rage. You have a choice or you, to obey and to forgive and to live. Right? And so even Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And my attitude has to change. Or your attitude and my attitude has to change because when something bad happens, where do we go? We go to self-pity. We go to anger. We go to resentment. I'm going to get back at that person. And we need to move through that very quickly. I've learned, I'm old enough now, so when I realize I've got that bad attitude, I try and knock it on the head within five minutes. I say, okay, this is not where God wants me to be. I'm going to take this to prayer. I'm going to move on to God. Let's get rid of this. This is not functional. When you get in that point where I'm going to sue someone over this, no, five minutes later, you better be in prayer uh, and, and move past that rage. Do we learn obedience to God through the things that we suffer? And you are suffering as a discipline. God is dealing with you at sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? God puts challenges in front of us. He puts in unfairness in front of us. So that we can discipline our lives and our hearts and our minds. If you can't deal with unfair, if the world's always got to be nice to you, you're not going to have much in the way of love in your heart. Because you've got to learn to love your enemies. And you only learn to love your enemies if there are enemies and those enemies are causing you trouble. Right? You only learn to pray for those who persecute you if you're persecuted. And you've got to learn to love the difficult people in your life as a form of discipline. Every one of us has got difficult people in our life. God's put them there for a reason. It might be your next door neighbor. It might be someone in your own household. It might be somewhere else. And it's a matter of discipline to learn to love the unlovely, to learn to love those people that annoy you, to be able to put the thoughts of your hearts to God and say, God, purify my heart. And help me to obey the Sermon on the Mount. That's discipline. Right? Uh, and so you might go be in a workplace which is totally inefficient, annoying, and you've got a self-centered egomaniac for a boss. Right? Uh, I've worked under those conditions, and I think everyone has at some point in their life, they get that terrible boss. You have to pray for that boss. And sometimes you, you can pray the prayer, Lord, either change them or renew them, but help me to love them. 
I either change them or remove them, but either way help me to love them. Right? So the boss can change or the boss can be removed, but I either way help me uh, help you to love them. Okay. Okay. Growth in grace. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. His hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, when you go through this stuff, when bad things happen to you, it's a chance for you to develop strength and patience. It's a chance for you to develop resilience in your heart. It's a chance for you to tough it up as a Christian and be the kind of courageous, hope-filled, faith-filled person that uh, you need to be. Now, we've all heard about positive thinking, and positive thinking is a little bit weak. We don't go into positive thinking as a Christian. We go into Christian endurance and faith. We believe that God's going to come through for us even if it's really dismal. Even if our business is in trouble, our church is in trouble, our family's in trouble, even if we think light, we believe that God's going to come through. Right? And we produce hope in our hearts, the hope that comes out of faith, and we don't sit around having a pity party. Right? We need to go beyond just positive thinking to faith-filled, solution-focused thinking, which is a whole other sermon. I've actually written a book called Solution-Focused uh, Faith, and that's a whole other thing. But we need to be solution-focused. We need to believe that God has the solution. We're hoping for that solution. God's going to come through, and we're going to believe in that, and that will strengthen our character and hope. Glory and reward. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, Sister Rams had this dream a little bit back, uh, and the, uh, she asked about my interpretation of this dream. And I won't go into the whole dream. The interpretation of the dream was that the unseen things, the invisible things, give meaning to the visible things. So my soul, which is invisible, gives meaning to my body. Right? The uh, uh, God, who is invisible, gives meaning to the universe, which is visible. So it's the unseen things in they give meaning in your family the love in the family gives meaning to the family right and so the invisible things are the things that give meaning and hope to the visible things so we focus on the invisible not on the visible and as we're going through our sufferings we're saying I can't see the character perfection that's coming out of this I can't see God's reward I can't even sometimes see God in the midst of this but I know from the Bible that this is producing an eternal weight of glory for me. If I bear this suffering as God wants me to bear with, if I go through this suffering with faith and not with self-pity, then an eternal weight of glory is coming for me just as it did for Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist and everyone else. So we have to move through the visible with our eyes on the invisible and that helps us to cope with suffering. Also, we suffer so we can comfort other people. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction with the comfort ourselves we receive from God. As we go through our suffering, we can say, yes, now I've got empathy. Now I understand that what it was like. Now I can bring the grace of God to that person. Now I know what scriptures are. 
uh, are things. So you begin to understand how to reach out to others, how to suffer with to others. And to this day, I reach out to lonely people because I spent so long being lonely. Uh, really up, uh, up into my 30s, well up into my 30s, I was a very lonely person. So they, uh, we, we reach out with uh, and able to comfort others. How do we cope as a Christian? I say, hello. Okay, right. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And the anointing breaks the yoke. When the Holy Spirit is on you, all your misery, all your pain is broken by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Get into a place where the Holy Spirit can minister to you, get into worship, have good worship music playing, get around people that can pray for you. And the presence of God in the midst of suffering is redemptive. We know at the end of Job, Job's gone through all this miserable time, then God turns up and the presence of God resolves his terrible situation. Faith and hope. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. And he says here, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing the glory that's to be revealed to us. So we need faith and hope. You need to reach out and say, Lord, give me faith. Give me hope. Uh, I'm, and you need encouraging people around you that will help you with faith and hope. Right, pray for one another. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp. So he's, he was in prison. He was being persecuted. The next day he was going to have his head chopped off. And the angel comes and opens the door of the prison and leads him out. And he ends up uh, uh, going to uh, Mary's house. And from all the Jewish people expected. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. So how did the angel come to the prison and let him out? Because people were praying. When we pray for one another... Bad things stop happening. When we pray for the person with cancer and they're healed, bad things stop happening uh, to, those, uh, to those people. Mike here, he was really, really sick. He was, having, he was in a coma. He was having dialysis seven days a week. The doctors had given up. Uh, so Minda and her friend Cynthia went to pray for him. Cynthia's praying for him and Mike's convulsing in the bed. And Mike starts to turn the corner and I get back from the Philippines and I go to pray for him and other people go to pray for him. And then it goes from seven days a week to three days a week. Well, originally, the doctor said his kidneys are dead. They will never, ever recover. They went from three days a week to zero dialysis, and his kidneys are functional. That is the result of prayer. Bad things stop happening to Mike because the body of Christ prayed. Okay. And, and we need to love one another. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to this need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. When we get out there and we love people, we reach out to them, we have dinner with them, we, we comfort the lonely, we pray for the sick, we do the stuff, then bad things stop happening because people are comforted. And when the body of Christ is reaching out to you and healing you and giving you emotional healing and giving you encouragement and showing the practical love of God, hey, it's easier to make it through. Many people in this church can testify that they lost a loved one or a relative or something and suddenly everyone's bringing food over to their house, everyone's comforting them, everyone's doing what they can. And they say, oh, okay. <laughs> right. These people love me. It's better. All right. It's getting better because my, our church loves people. Okay. All right. Now, 
let, let's look at why Christianity is the best religion and, and why, what we can do about suffering. What we let this, There's a problem uh, that I, illustration I've used for years called the nail in the chair. Let's assume that there was a chair on the stage up here and there was a huge nail sticking up through the chair. And people could come and sit on that nail on the chair. What do the different philosophies of the world have to say? Fatalism. So I was destined to sit on the nail. That's it. Maktub. That, you know, this is, this is the, what happened to me. Karma. I did something wrong. In some past life, I did something wrong, so that's why I ended up sitting on the nail in the chair. The nail in the chair represents the problems and sufferings of life. Okay? So, I did something wrong to deserve this nail. Guilt. My suffering. I'm sitting on this nail because that's atoning for my sin and, and, and I'm, I'm making up for all the wicked things I did in life. But Jesus is our sacrifice, right? We don't have to atone for our sin. Jesus is atoned for our sin. Hinduism. The nail is just part of the illusion. Everything's an illusion. I'm an illusion. The universe is an illusion. It's all Maya. M-A-Y, not the person who gave the notices. <laughs> but it's an illusion. And the nail and my suffering are just part of an illusion I should detach myself from it. Monism, the nail and I are now one and we're all part of the one universe. Superstition, a demon put the nail there. New Age, and I know someone like this, I manifested the nail by being negative. And all the bad things that happened to them, they manifested it, they were on the wrong frequency and the law of attraction attracted the nail to them. Christianity, let's just remove the nail. When you, when you go to the Christian places of the world, particularly the Protestant places of the world, like Switzerland and, and the place where Lutheranism are trial, like Sweden and Australia and the USA, everything gets fixed. Because Christianity is about fixing it. When Jesus came along to the leper, he didn't give the lep, leper a lecture on patience or karma or anything like that. He healed the leprosy. Right? And when Jesus came and there was... No wine at the wedding. He didn't give them a lecture on manage, wine management or something. He gave them wine. He fixed the problem. Again and again, Christianity is about fixing stuff. Right? And engineering and science came out of Christian philosophy. Right? And we should go and we should fix stuff. Now, I, you know, I think all of my, you know, my background is a careers counsellor. And I believe... When we take our faith into the workplace, when we do our work well, then bad things stop happening to good people. If you're a nurse and you double-check the surgical instruments and make sure that everything's sterilised, that prevents bad things happening from good people. There's no infections, no MRSA and all that kind of stuff because it's being done properly. If you're an electrician, a Christian electrician, and you check all those circuits and make sure there's no short circuits and the person's house is wired correctly... You are stopping bad things happening to good people. And when we go out there, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a psychiatrist, whatever you are, uh, you are you're stopping bad things happening to good people. The police stop bad things happening. The courts, the counsellors, doctors, nurses, engineers make things safer. The military protects the nation as a whole. We have cyber security. We have locksmiths. When you go out as a Christian and you do your job well, you do your job as unto the Lord and not being slack, right? If you're slack in a farm and you leave the, uh, the gate open and all the cattle escape, that's causing trouble, 
right? And the Bible is very critical of slack people, but I'm not going at that there. But when we're diligent as a Christian, suffering goes away. Right? America and Australia and other places that are built on the Protestant work ethic, on the Protestant way of doing things, on the Christian way of doing things, as under the Lord where your work is sacred, not just the priest is sacred, not just the church is sacred, not just the Bible is sacred, but your work is sacred. When the people are built on that, everything works. And, and you, you can build a society, you can build a firm, you can build a church, you can build whatever you want to do that works if you take Christ into the workplace. And I'd love to preach a whole sermon one day on Christ in the workplace. <laughs> but because that is essential. You are not just holy when you're at church. You're holy when you're taking care of your kids. You're holy when you're driving on the road. You're holy when you're doing your work. You're holy whatever your job is. You might think, this is really boring. I'm, I'm just moving, you know, paper from pile A to pile B. But if you're processing someone's immigration visa from pile A to pile B, and you do that properly and they get to be a citizen of the United States, that's a marvellous thing you've done for this country and for people. right? And that is holy unto God. So... I want you to go out of here, not just with a whole bunch of philosophy about why bad things happen to good people, but with the determination to do your work well. Yeah. You're going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And you're going to be the person that reaches out to the lonely people. You're going to be the person that goes and prays for people. You're going to be the person that brings the casserole or the curry curry or whatever over there to people, all right? You can always bring me curry curry. Uh, so... You, it, when you do these things, you make the world a better place. Use your common sense. Pray. I'm going to uh, pray for you now. We can have the worship team come up. Okay. And uh, Father in heaven, we know that you're glorious, you're good, you're strong, you're perfect. Uh, we know that you've called us to change this world through the power of the prayer, the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of our daily work filled with the energy that we get from God. So, Lord, now we pray that you will equip us to be agents of change in the world, that we may rise up, that we may do the work, and that we may be those who change human hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.